You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the Becca Cook Show. Today, I want to ask the question, what do the romantic poets of the 18th and 19th century have to do with Lady Gaga, Madonna, Miley Cyrus, Will and Grace, Queer Eye, and Kim Kardashian? Well, we're going to get into that and we're going to get back into Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And look at how these romantic poets, uh, particularly the, the strand of romanticism that's called expressivism, and how these poets completely inform and mold what we see around us today. And this is, you know, this is from 200 years ago. And these poets have this lasting effect. I mean, we talked about Rousseau last week and, his effect on our culture is is profound now, but these poets as well have a, a major impact on what is going on in culture today. And so we're going to get into that and look at a couple of these poets, William Blake and uh, Percy B. Shelley, and see what their ideas were and what what those ideas meant and how those ideas affect us today. So there are a few key ideas that romanticism and romantic poets had, and these ideas are, are very important. And the first idea is that the listeners or readers of this poetry uh, were became more and more in touch with authentic reality, with their authentic selves that was stripped away from any kind of c- social constructs of civilization or society. And secondly, the idea that poetry, there was this idea that poetry is the ethical task of the poets to, to enable humanity, uh, to, to give them the correct ideas and the correct sentiments. And through this poetry, the poet would give human beings the correct understanding of ethics. And thirdly, the poet was seen as political even a revolutionary and 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 Percy B Shelley said that poets were now this is important cuz it's so true today Percy B Shelley said the that poets were the unacknowledged legislators of the world so poets were the unacknowledged legislators of the world now we're going to get into that later and how that's happening today with the quote unquote poets of today. And, uh, we'll look at that. But per, uh, Percy B. Shelley and William Blake attacked organized Christianity. In their poetry, there were notions of political liberation and sexual freedom, which we'll get into. And these poets, especially Shelley and Blake, put such a huge emphasis on sex as a central element in human authenticity. And we'll see how, especially Shelley and Blake, how both of them 
really put this emphasis on sex. By the way, last week, I, I forgot to mention this when I was talking about Rousseau. Rousseau was one of the progenitors of this of the French Revolution. I mean, uh, Robespierre and the Jacobins were highly influenced by the philosophy of, of Rousseau. And you see how the French Revolution turned out. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. And uh, Robes, there was the Reign of Terror, which in which tens of thousands of people were guillotined. Um, it was such a evil, evil revolution. And there was so much um, just vitriol and, and, and vice and anger and hatred. And the French Revolution was a disaster, which ended up in Napoleon Bonaparte becoming the dictator after the revolution failed. And you contrast that with the American Revolution, which was in 1776, which was based on biblical principles. And you see the radical difference between the two revolutions. So there's the French Revolution of 1789 and the American Revolution of 1776. And one is based on the philosophy of Rousseau, where man is born good and society corrupts him. The other is based on biblical principles where man is born depraved and, and Christ is the redeemer. And so there are such radically different understandings of human nature that shaped both of those revolutions. So I wanted to, to just talk about that for a second because I forgot to mention it last week, but Rousseau was very influential on these poets as well, on Shelley and Blake and Wordsworth. So let's look at what they have to say. For Shelley, art is a political cause precisely because it's what makes people truly human. In Percy B. Shelley's poem, Queen Mab, the content is a history of the world that culminates in a future utopia. And we see how that worked out in the 20th century, the utopianists of the 20th century. I mean, tens and tens of millions of people were murdered or died because of this, this striving after a utopia on this earth. And as Christians, we know that there's no such thing as a utopia on earth until Christ returns. When Christ returns, he will, of course, bring... In, into existence a actual utopia that will be eternal and the new heavens and new earth. But until that time, there is no possibility of a utopia. And this is what the philosophers and the poets of the 18th and 19th century, and even the 20th century, uh, the politicians of the 20th century, Stalin and Lenin, et cetera, et cetera, this is what they believe. They believe that utopia was possible. And I think there's a lot of um, that going on in politics right now in culture that uh, people, human beings seem to still believe that utopia is possible on this earth without God. That there's, if we could just get the politics right, and we, if we could just get the right people in power and the right people out of power. And if we could just get human beings to be molded in a certain way and to believe certain things, then utopia would be possible. And of course, 
I always talk about this, but I actually believe that to be true. Before I got saved 11 years ago, before I was a Christian and I understood the fall and I understood sin, I actually believed that I believe that. I believe utopia was possible. I mean, I, as I, I've mentioned this before, but I used to, I would go sometimes to Ariana Huffington's house for cocktail parties. And she, of course, created the Huffington Post. And I remember just thinking all the time, if everyone could just be like Ariana Huffington, the whole world be, would be a perfect place. That's literally how I thought. It, it's just crazy to me now when I look back on that. Um, how upside down that thinking was. But um, yeah, I used to believe that utopia was possible. And so did these poets. And in this utopian idea, I mean, Shelley, as I mentioned earlier, he said, quote, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. And he said that because he thought poets were the ones who transform people and therefore the world and their and and it all came from their artistic creations from their poetry from their from their verse and both wordsworth and shelley had this emphasis on the inward psychological man that that you had to look inward to find your true self that to be your authentic self you had to look inward as opposed to the christian understanding of understanding the self you have to look outward i.e. to god you have to in order to understand who you are, you have to know who God is. And that's what John Calvin said in his institutes, in the very beginning of his institutes. And for Shelley, he attacked religious institutions, especially Christian, well, really just Christianity and Judaism, but mostly Christianity, because he thought that sexual liberation equaled political liberation. So, so Christianity for Shelley was something, it was an impediment to, to liberation, to political liberation. And we'll see more of that in a minute. Shelley had a huge disdain for religion, for Christianity. And he actually, when Shelley was at Oxford, he wrote a, a little pamphlet with a friend named Thomas Jefferson Hogg. And the, the name of the pamphlet is The Necessity of Atheism. And he actually was expelled from Oxford for writing that pamphlet. So Shelley was an atheist and he was violently opposed to, to Christianity. And for Shelley, God himself is the very prototype of human tyranny, a willful, arbitrary, unaccountable despot. So God, according to Shelley, God is actually evil. He's oppressive and he's evil and he he's, he's a tyrant. He calls God a tyrant. And I just want to read a, a, a couple, just a couple of verses from his poem, Queen Mab. And this kind of sums it up. He says, unchecked by dull and selfish chastity, that virtue of the cheaply virtuous who pride themselves in senselessness and frost. So you see in with Shelley, sexual freedom is the ultimate freedom. And he has such contempt for, for traditional sexual mores and Shelley's 
poetry and his idea of expressive individualism was a precondition for the sexual revolution and also modern identity politics. And Shelley, of course, was opposed to traditional marriage. He, th uh, he thought marriage was odious and, and terrible and just had constraints on human beings. And in Shelley's father-in-law's proposed utopia, no man would be joined exclusively to one woman, but would share in sexual community. So there was this idea that, you know, monogamy and traditional marriage and the family was absolutely um, antithetical to human happiness, to human flourishing, to human authenticity, which is the most important thing, which is all, of course, a lie from the pit of hell. And in his work, Queen Mab, again, Shelley says that, quote, love withers under constraint. Its very essence is liberty. So you see that with Shelley, I mean, this is, this is the sexual revolution right here. It's love withers under constraint. So there has to be sexual liberation, sexual freedom to have as many sexual partners as a human being can to, to be your authentic self, to be, to ex express your true self to, this is all again, expressive individualism. And that's what his poetry propagated. And so for Shelley, the, the unnatural, quote unquote, unnatural constraints of marriage and monogamy were the primary cause of personal inauthenticity. And that's what his poetry constant, the, the constant refrain, so to speak, of his poetry propagated this idea. And of course, we, we see that coming home to roost in the sexual revolution. And then we see that coming home to fully roost now in our culture. And for Shelley, the purpose of life is personal happiness, which he defines as a pleasurable sensation. And we might look at that as the inner sense of psychological well-being of, of this therapeutic age that we're in, of this psychological age that we're in. So for Shelley, the purpose of life was, was, was pleasure. And so for Shelley, marriage is for the mutual pleasure and satisfaction of the consenting parties. And that's it. That's, that's what marriage is for. And you might say it, marriage is a sentimental union. And once those sentiments are gone, the marriage is over. And that's where we get the idea of no-fault divorce. Because and that's what the the age we live in, and I talk about this all the time. That marriage now is quid pro quo. It's all it's all about as long as I'm happy, as long as you're giving me pleasure, then this marriage is good. But the second that's over, the second that you lose your looks, or that you lose your money, or that you I lose interest in you, or I fall out of love from you, then the marriage is over. But what's fascinating is that this this whole concept of basically no-fault divorce began 200 years ago with Shelley. And so for Shelley, marriage must be not only destroyed, but abolished completely. And he presents Christian morality not as just simply wrong-headed or benign, but as, again, as essentially evil. Christianity is essentially evil. And 
we see that today. I mean, that our culture sees Christians and, or Christianity or biblical principles or biblical truths as evil. We, we, again, we live in this upside down world and what's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. And I mean, just look all around you. Look at the, the Grammys. Look at the, the sneakers that just came out, the satanic sneakers. I mean, it's just all around us. And that's why Christianity must be done away with. That's why it's okay in the media to attack Christianity because Christian Christianity and, and the truth of the Bible is considered to be evil. I mean, I talked about this before, but you know, I listened to audio Bible a lot and I was doing the dishes and listening to first Corinthians, first Corinthians, and just listened to the whole book of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And I just was like, well, especially first Corinthians chapter six, when ta- Paul talks about sexual immorality and it lists all the vices, I was like, does the governor of California even know that this passage exists in the Bible? Cause it's pretty scandalous. Uh, and I, I feel like, <laughs> um, I, I feel like the Bible, at some point, I don't know, but I feel like it could be banned at some point, especially in California. I don't know. We'll see. That's why I'm stockpiling Bibles. I have a stack of like, you know, 10 Bibles, different translations and some in Greek and Hebrew. Um, so get your Bibles, make sure you have a stockpile, hide them away, put them under the floorboards because you, you never know when they're going to come for your Bibles. Uh, I don't want to be reactionary, but, uh, it's true. The Bible is scandalous. I mean, what, what Jesus talks about, what Paul talks about, what, what Peter, I mean, it's just scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. And I'm surprised that it's still around today. And the poet William Blake was also all about sexual freedom. And I just want to read a little bit of his poem, The Garden of Love. William Blake says, I went to the garden of love and saw what I never had seen. A chapel was built in the midst where I used to play on the green and the gates of this chapel were shut and thou shalt not writ over the door. So I turned to the garden of love that so many sweet flowers bore. And I saw it was filled with graves and tombstones where flowers should be. And priests in black gowns were walking their rounds and binding with briars my joys and desires. So you see, in this, in this poem, The Garden of Love, the chapel is a man-made intrusion into the garden of what was once innocence. It's, it's presence. The chapel being in this garden is alien and oppressive and with and of course you see Blake picks up on the the Ten Commandments the Decalogue using the refrain "Thou shalt not" uh, when he says "and thou shalt not writ over the door," and the garden symbolizes a state of childlike innocence, and the chapel represents alien intrusion into the garden. And so for Blake, religion is oppressive, and it's even 
equated with death because he talks about the gravestones and the tombstones where the flowers should be. So religion, Christianity is equated with death for, for Blake. And so for Blake and for Shelley, the revolution that the world needs is essentially a sexual revolution and a revolution from Christianity. And so when you get rid of Christianity, when you get rid of morality based on the moral law of God, the sacred order collapses and all you're left with is, is morality based on matter is a matter of taste, not truth. It's just a matter of what your taste is of the day. And that's what we see today. Morality is based on whatever our taste is, uh, whatever our inner selves says morality is. And so the people who shape morality are the people in popular culture, pop culture icons. So when Shelley says that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world, I just think of the pop, the popular culture today and who creates the content of that, of the culture. So it's the, it's the people who create the content at, on Netflix and on uh, TV shows and in the media and, and, and uh, pop singers who create the content such as, you know, all the, the shows of, of Will and Grace and Queer Eye and, 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 uh, you know, the movie Brokeback Mountain, Sex in the City. Um, and then the pop singers, Cardi B, Lady Gaga, all those, creators of content of the culture are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. And it's, and it's true because I remember in the eighties, Madonna, when she was interviewed, she always, she would always say things like, and I was a huge fan of Madonna, of course, in the eighties. And, um, but she would always say things like, I want to push the boundaries of sex. I want to push the boundaries of sex. Like that, it was a constant thing she wanted to do. And of course she achieved that goal and that she is an unacknowledged legislator of our world because we're seeing the fruit of all of that now. And Lady Gaga, we're seeing the fruit of all of that now and Taylor Swift and so on and Miley Cyrus and, and all those people we see that they are actually, because again, I say this all the time that politics is, is downstream of culture. So legis, the legislation we see today legalizing gay marriage in 2015 and all kinds of other legislation comes from these unacknowledged legislators. And it's just, it's overwhelming. It's absolutely stunning that these people have such a powerful influence over culture. So the poets, William Wordsworth and William Blake and Percy B. Shelley lead to Hugh Hefner and to Madonna and to Lady Gaga and to Miley Cyrus and to Kim Kardashian. I mean, (laughs) the list goes on and on and on and on. I could talk about it for hours, but that's where we are today. And that's what kind of power the poetry of these, of, of romantic expressivism 
has over our culture today. And that's where it came from 200 years ago. So it's pretty, pretty incredible the world we live in and, and how this, how we are shaped by these poets from 200 years ago. So next week, we're going to get more into the philosophies of, of Nietzsche and Marx and, and, and we'll also get into Charles Darwin. But, um, thank you for joining today. Happy Easter. He is risen. Jesus is risen, which is, gives us hope over all of this, of this, very disturbing culture we live in. So Jesus is risen. Happy Easter. And I'll see you next time on the Becca Cook Show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Becca Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Becca Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.